it's okay to celebrate that. Thank you, Chris. Man. I was driving here tonight, and I was thinking about what a joy it is, and what a privilege it is to be able to, to be here with you guys on Christmas Eve. I love Christmas Eve services like this because it gets us a chance just to remember the real reason for the season together. As I was driving here tonight, I was uh, just kind of in a spirit of prayer, giving thanks to the Lord for giving me the honor of, on this Christmas Eve, once again, being able to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and what He's done in coming to this earth for us. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up, or if you have your iPad or your iPhone, I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 tonight. We're going to be talking about why Jesus came, and I want you to think about it as we get ready to to uh, read some scripture together, there are four accounts uh, that, that we have of the life of Jesus. Uh, we, in my New Connections class, which is kind of like a Harvest Point 101 class, I always remind them of, of that very fact. We have four accounts, and what would it be like if we didn't have any accounts of what Jesus' life was like? I'm so thankful we not only have one, two, three, we have four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of the, of the life of Jesus. Now, interestingly enough, two of those Gospels that we have reference the birth of Jesus, and two do not. Matthew and Luke talk about the birth of Christ. Now, they talk about the birth in different ways, and that's kind of where we're going to begin tonight. But you know that Luke kind of starts out in Luke chapter 2, and he tells the whole story of the angel visiting Mary, and he begins to tell how that all unfolded and what God's plan was. But in Matthew, which is our focus for tonight, Matthew is going to tell the story in a little different way. So in Matthew chapter 1, hopefully you've got that open there in front of you. I'm going to turn there as well. Matthew chapter 1, and um, really before we even throw anything up on the screen in front of you, just let me just notice in Matthew chapter 1 that um, uh, in verse 18, my Bible titles it the birth of Jesus Christ, beginning in verse 18. Now what's interesting about Matthew's story is that Matthew doesn't start his gospel right out of the gate with the account of the birth of Christ. He actually does something before that. And in verse 1, he begins with a genealogy. He begins a storyline about how and who Jesus was from, who his ancestors were. He's going to tell us a genealogy. Now, one would wonder, why in the world would Matthew think that's important? That's the question. If you were going to tell the story of Jesus... Why would you begin with a genealogy? For example, in in verse 1 it says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it begins. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now this is interesting. Let me just kind of pause there for a minute. Uh, Because the question is before us, why would Matthew start his account telling us a genealogy? Now the answer to that question is pretty simple. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, and every Jew, if he's going to tell them who the Messiah is, and that's his plan, he wants to tell them that Jesus is Messiah, every Jew, one of their first thoughts would have been, well, did he come from the line of David? They knew their scriptures, and they knew that the Messiah was to come from the line of David. And so Matthew knew, speaking to a Jewish audience, he knew that he needed to show them that that Jesus was from the line of David. Now, what's interesting, and here's the surprise, and ladies, maybe you'll appreciate this, maybe you won't, I'm not sure. But what's, what's the surprise of the whole thing is that 
it should have been just men there. In this culture, women weren't even hardly recognized, and they certainly wouldn't have normally been recognized in a genealogy. But in Matthew's story, as he begins, he not only includes one or two, he includes four ladies in the genealogy. And you'll notice that none of them even really have to be there. Now, why is this important? Back in that day, uh, people hired historians to write down history. If you were a general, if you were a king, oftentimes you would hire someone to record the history. And oftentimes, because they were a hired hand, they would record it a certain way that was bent towards your liking. So, for example, if, uh, if you were a general and you'd ask and paid someone to record history and a certain battle didn't go well, they'd kind of rush over that one. But another one went really well, they would bring that one to light. And the same thing goes for maybe your own children if you were a king. They would highlight some children, they would kind of skip over other children. What's the big point here? The hired historians of the day, they, they were hired to make you look good, and they were hired to record certain things that you wanted highlighted. Now, what's interesting is when Matthew gives his, gives his history of the genealogy of Jesus, he's making a point. And I don't know whether you've ever even noticed this before. What kind of point is he making that he would include four ladies in his genealogy? Well, I want to talk with you about that tonight because I think it tells us a little bit about why Jesus came. So who are those four ladies? Let's just read it together. I'm going to begin in verse 1 again, and then I'll stop when I get to the first lady. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Tamar is the first woman mentioned. Now, I wish I could tell you all about Tamar, but let me tell you, Tamar's story is so dicey, I can hardly even talk about it in church, okay? Tamar's story is is out there. and Maybe you could do a little Google search on Tamar after church is over tonight, but let me tell you, what's interesting was he didn't have to include Tamar. He just says, this is, her, this is their mother, and it's Tamar in verse 3. Now, let's go on. It says, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, there it is again, whose mother was Rahab. Now, I don't know if you know your Bible history before, but most people, they know about Rahab. They've read that story. As a matter of fact, we normally say whenever we use the word Rahab, even the name, we have two words that follow it. Rahab the, uh, maybe you would remember that, that, you know, she's like a woman of the night. Why in the world would that be in the middle of this story right here in verse 5? He didn't have to include Rahab, but he does. And then notice this, the next verse. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth is a good story, and Ruth is a good girl. But what's interesting is Ruth is not even a Jew. Why would he include Ruth in there when she's not even a Jew? In verse 5, and then notice right after that, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. There's where you've been trying to go along. Why not just stop right there? But he goes on, he says this, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, notice he doesn't even say her name there, right? 
Now, interestingly enough, almost all of us probably know who Uriah was and who David was and how David had longed for Uriah's wife and he had had Uriah sent to the front lines and he had Uriah killed so that he could take Uriah's wife. You remember Uriah's wife's name? What was her name? Bathsheba. But it's interesting that Matthew doesn't even say Bathsheba. Notice, it's kind of like he's just twisting the knife in there and turning it a little bit, right? He says, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, as a reminder that, man, this is, this, is a, this is the woman that David got because he had Uriah killed. Now, here's, here's the big thing. David, in a genealogy linking to David, if there's one story that David could erase from his own lineage, from his own past, it would have been that story. And Matthew wants to link it in here for some reason. And not only does he link it in and say who Solomon is, he links it in and says, and oh, by the way, you remember who she was, right? She was Uriah's wife. Now, what's interesting about that? Well, here's the question that I start to ask. Matthew, you're giving us a genius. Why all the distractions? Why all the extra stuff? Why throw the ladies in there? Why not just stick with the the genealogy as it exists? Uh, And by the way, if you're going to mention ladies, if you're going to put women in there, why not mention some women like Rebecca, for example? That would have been a great, wonderful reference to put in there. He doesn't talk about Re- Rebecca. He doesn't talk about Sarah. He throws in there four ladies. Tamar, a story I can't even tell you tonight, you know. Another one, Rahab, the lady of the night. Ruth, a person who's not a Jew. And then that other one, you know, who was the wife of Uriah, who Uriah was killed. Why even talk about that? Now, here's, I think, the answer. Matthew had lived with Jesus for three years. He had seen Jesus teach and heal people. He had, seen, he had walked into the tomb that Jesus was re- resurrected in. He had met and touched and spoken with the resurrected Jesus. He had seen Jesus die on a cross. He had, he had, he had sat at the foot of Jesus, and he knew the heart of Jesus, and Matthew knew that for Jesus, this Jesus wasn't just about the people who were all the good people. Jesus was about the people who were the shady characters. Jesus was about the people who had all the baggage, and they are the point of the story. And Matthew knew this all too well because this is really Matthew's story. And he's about to tell his story later on. He's going to tell how he met Jesus. But one of the first things he does is he includes people who are sinners in the genealogy of Jesus. I think that tells us right out of the gate one of the reasons Jesus came. Jesus came because of sin. We needed someone to help us with our sin problem. And sin is the reason God came to the planet for us. So get this for a minute. Listen. You may have never even grasped this before, but grasp it on this Christmas Eve. Jesus didn't just come for sinners. Jesus came from sinners. And that's okay. Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, when Matthew's going to tell the story of Jesus and how he was born, he wants you to understand. Get that one more time. Jesus did not just come for sinners. He came from sinners, from people with checkered pasts, from people with, with shameful secrets, from people who had a lot 
of baggage. And he wants to tell his story. And he's one of them too, right? Maybe you remember Matthew's story, right? Matthew is going to tell the story of the birth of Christ. And later on, he's going to tell his story. But for Matthew, here's what it's all about. Light came into the world, a world filled with darkness. Grace came into the world, a world filled with condemnation. Glory came into the world in a place where the world was in desperate need of hope. And for Matthew, this is not just a story of the birth of Jesus. For Matthew, this is his story. So let's jump over to Matthew's story for a minute, okay? And uh, maybe you flip over a few pages to Matthew chapter 9. And Matthew's going to be able to tell you his story. Now, interestingly enough, at the very beginning of Matthew 9, he doesn't begin with his story. He actually begins with Jesus showing up to a port city on the Sea of Galilee. And the city is called uh, Capernaum or Capernaum. And can you imagine for a minute kind of, kind of standing there maybe buying something on the, on the side of the Sea of Galilee and all of a sudden you hear this ruckus, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And there, you, you see these crowd of people following on the shore because there's a boat just off on the, on the edge of the lake and it's about to dock into the dock and all these people are rushing because Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And so Matthew tells a story about Jesus getting off the boat and there's a paralyzed guy there. Oh, and the paralyzed guy needs healing, but Jesus doesn't just give him healing. You know what Jesus does. Jesus does those things that sometimes provoke other people, you know, especially the religious people. Jesus says, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven, which makes the religious people all freak out, right? And then Jesus goes on and he says, hey, rise, pick up your mat and walk, and he heals the guy. And then right after that, now by the way, Jesus has already called a few disciples. He's already got a few guys follow him, Peter, James, John. He's got a few. He hadn't filled out his 12 yet, right? But they're following him along the way. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, he comes up to a guy named Matthew. Read it with me in Matthew chapter 9, and we'll pick it up together. It says, as Jesus went on from there, after he healed that guy, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. Now, this is interesting because you need to understand who Matthew is and what a tax collector was in that day. But let me just suffice it to say, there were two categories of people, and you you even read it in the Bible this way, that almost nobody wanted to have anything to do with. And they were tax collectors and sinners, all right? Tax collectors got their own category. People hated tax collectors so much, they weren't just sinners, they were tax collectors. Oh, they're even worse. And then sinners, right? Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors were looked at as people no one wanted to be around, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. But let me tell you, it's not in the Scripture there. But I just wonder sometimes if this wasn't Peter's worst day. I mean, Peter has left his nets. He's, he's been a fisherman all of his life. Jesus said, follow, follow me. Now he's seen Jesus healing people. He believes Jesus is the Messiah. And all of a sudden, he, he's walking and he's following Jesus. And Jesus comes up to a tax collector's booth. And he looks at a guy named Matthew. And Peter must have been thinking, wonder what's going to happen here. And Jesus looks at him and he says, follow me. And you know the story, right? I mean, Matthew's going to follow. But I wonder what went through Peter's mind. I wonder if Peter went like, what? You know, come on. I mean, it's mine. Uh, are you kidding me? I mean, you're calling him to follow you just like you called me to follow you? This is a guy people hated tax collectors. Now, here's why. Back in that day, um, Rome 
Rome needed to take taxes. And the more taxes they could collect, the more their kingdom across earth could be expanded. And so there was a tax for everything. There was a tax for how you traveled. There was a tax for everything you ate. There were taxes for everything. And the more they taxed, the more Rome could expand. And by the way, whenever Rome needed money, they just increased the taxes. Now, tax collectors had to come to Rome every five years. Because you get a five-year license to be a tax collector, and you were a citizen of Rome. That's who the tax collectors were. Now, Rome was smart enough to figure this out, that it would be smart for them to recruit some Jews to go and tax their own people instead of having Roman citizens in the land of Israel taxing the Jews. And so they finally opened up the rule book, and they said, hey, we want to pull some Jews into this, and you can come, and you can bid for the right to go back and tax your own people, and we'll tell you what you have to tax, and then anything you want to add on top, that's your commission. That's what you make. Now, a tax collector who was a Jew coming back, representing Rome, taxing their own people, and then adding a commission on top, this was like betraying your own country. This was like Having your, having, hating your own countrymen and women. This was like sinning and spitting right in the face of the people that you grew up with. And nobody liked a tax collector. Tax collectors and sinners. These are bad people. Sometimes I just wonder, you know how you ever been at a party before and, the, and people say, hey, what's your most embarrassing moment? Tell your most embarrassing. Sometimes I wonder if Matthew's most embarrassing moment wasn't Guys, I was sitting at a tax collector booth when Jesus came up to me. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine how embarrassed I was when he leaned across the table and he looked at me and he said, follow me. Now, preachers make a lot of this. Preachers make a lot of this. And in that moment, Matthew left everything behind him and he followed Jesus. I don't know that it was really like that. I'll be honest with you. I mean, what if you were a tax collector? I mean, that day, maybe it happened like this. Maybe he put somebody else in charge of the booth, and he said, okay, I'm going to go with this guy today, and I'm going to see what happened. But if you know the rest of the story, do you remember what happened next? I mean, he starts following Jesus, and he says, okay, Jesus, where are we going? Peter's back there, by the way, listening in. And Jesus says, I don't know. What about your house? Let's go to your house, Matthew. Can you imagine what Peter thought right then? What? Are you kidding me? Now we're going to go to his house? And Matthew says, well, if that's what you want. And Jesus says, hey, hey, why don't, we, why don't you get some of your friends? Why don't you get some of your other tax collectors and other sinner friends? And why don't we go to your house? And why don't we eat together? And why don't I meet with them? And I bet at this point, Peter is going, I'm about to lose my mind. Are you serious? These, this guy is a tax collector and a sinner. And Jesus is going to go to his house. And I, and I just, I, I wonder... Later on, have you ever wondered this? Matthew later on, years and years later, after, long after, he's writing his memoir and he's writing about this story. And do you think when he came to Matthew chapter 9, he started talking about the story and how he followed Jesus and how later on they all went to his house and they had dinner? Do you ever wonder if a smile came across his face when he was writing down his own story about how Jesus had come into his life and saved his life, but he was a tax collector and a sinner, right? Pick up that scripture one more time. Let's read the rest of it for a second. The Bible The Bible says, Jesus said, follow me, and he left, he got up, and he followed him. And then in in verse 10, it says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, you'll read that like just like that over and over again in the Bible, this is the bottom of the rung, and tax collectors get their own little category. Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. 
By the way, some other people were there too. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Makes me wonder if they were almost afraid to ask Jesus. Maybe they were afraid to ask Jesus, so they come to the disciples and they say, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And if there were some of them, Peter, for example, who the the Bible tells us he was a zealot. Peter was pro-Israel. He was pro-Jew. Anybody that was collecting taxes against Israel, he would have hated them, right? If there were some of the disciples that were already kind of against this thing, why not go to them and say, hey, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because they would say, I honestly don't know. Can can I get back with you for a minute? In my mind, I sometimes wonder if they went over to Jesus. See, I, I have... I have people in our church sometimes, they don't know the answer to these things. They come up to the pastor and say, hey, uh, somebody asked me a really good question. Here's the question. And they asked me the question, you know. And I wonder if somebody came up to Jesus and said, listen, these guys over here, they're wondering, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And we didn't know what to tell them, but maybe you want to speak to it, okay? Watch what happens. One more time. Go backwards. And the Pharisees saw this. They asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Watch Jesus. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Can I just back up for a minute? Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I mean, Jesus doesn't guard his words. He's sitting right there with sinners and tax collectors. And for Matthew and his friends, guess what? They know that he's talking about them. We're the sick ones he's referring to. And do you think Matthew got offended? You know, I don't think Matthew got offended. See, here's what you need to know. People who are far from God, they know at least one thing, that they're far from God. And Matthew was far from God. And he had invited some people to come to dinner who were far from God. And then Jesus throws these words out there. It it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, I don't think people who are far from God, I don't think they get offended by that. They understand in that moment, Jesus came for me. He came for me. He came for the people who are far away. Now, notice these next two words. He quotes a prophet, and then he says something of his own accord, from his own lips. Watch this. But go and learn. He's talking to the Pharisees. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not, this is, these are his words, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's straight from the prophet Hosea. And if you remember that story, it's all about God wooing people back to himself. He quotes the prophet Hosea and he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He says, learn about that. Go and study that story of Hosea. And then he says this on his own. He says, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Again, who is he talking about there? He's talking about Matthew and all of Matthew's buddies who've come to dinner, the tax collectors and the sinners. And I don't think Matthew's offended by this because Matthew knows that he is far from God and his friends are far from God, and that's why Jesus came. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come for the sinners. This is interesting because Jesus tells us right here why he came. He Matthew included earlier sinners in the genealogy. And now at this story, Matthew is sitting with his buddies who are all sinners. And here is the point. Why did Jesus come? He says it very clearly. I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. 
I came for those who are sinners. And then we get, we get really the whole picture of why God came to the planet. It's, it's a picture, it's a story about God drawing near to people who have drawn away. About God meeting people who had almost stopped trying. Let me, let me, let me give you this example. Um, stairs, as a metaphor, can be used for a lot of things. So I'll, I'll use these stairs over here. There's a lot of different ways that people try to meet God, to be in relationship with God. And we'll kind of use these stairs, these ascending stairs as a, as a vision of that. And a lot of the different ways that people try to come and have a platform with God is by what they do. Okay, we're going to put it up on the right-hand side of the screen there, what I've done. And if I'm righteous, if I think I've done some good things, and this becomes my platform. And by the way, there are some who are more righteous than others. So what I've done, this is my platform to meet with God. And there may be some more righteous and some more righteous. But this, whatever this is, this is what I've done. Now, for Matthew, Matthew, who is sitting among tax collectors who get their own bracket and sinners, I mean... There's a point at which when you've been far away from God and you've drawn away from God where you look at all the people that are trying to approach God based on what they do and you don't even want to try. I mean, you know you don't have righteousness like that and you just kind of back off and you go, it ain't even worth trying. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, there's a reason that I came. Grasp this. Grasp this. This is what it's all about, why I came. This is the platform of what I've done. And what I find interesting about this is no matter where you're at on this platform or even kind of off the platform and giving up because you're hopeless that you'll ever be righteous, no matter where you are over here, really, you'll learn that this platform doesn't work. The way we try to approach God on our own merits, on how good we can be and on what we can do, this thing doesn't work. And in this moment, when Jesus is meeting with all the tax collectors and sinners, he's actually talking about those people over there who are not even trying to approach God anymore. They're, they've quit. They've given up. They're, not, they're looking at it and saying, I, I, I can't even get on the steps because I'm not even righteous like they are. I, it's not about what I've done. I mean, I've done some bad stuff. I'm not righteous. I'm unholy altogether. And see, I think what we have to grasp is what Jesus is saying is the reason I came is because that platform of what I've done, it, it doesn't work. So let's go to the other platform. The other platform for those steps is this platform of not trying to climb the steps at all. This platform is an understanding of what Christmas is all about. That here we are down here. It's not about our righteousness. It's not not about what we'll do. But God, God came from heaven to earth to teach us, to heal us, to help us, to save us. And In his platform, when Jesus came to earth for us, it levels the playing field. And no longer is it about those people who stand on the steps and think they're righteous and what they've done, they can approach God. It's not about that. And it's also not about the people who've given up hope and they're hopeless based on their own. It's not about that anymore. Together, together, whether you've got a false sense of righteousness or whether you've got a hopelessness that you'll ever be righteous, together we can all come to a totally different level playing field here and we understand that it's not based on what I've done but on what he did for me 
I'm so glad you're here on this Christmas Eve because I want to tell you what one of my biggest agendas as your pastor is. And I know for some of you, I'm kind of a surrogate pastor because you probably don't even live here and you're here visiting families. So why don't you just kind of be a part of our church tonight? I want to tell you one of my big goals as the pastor of this church here. And one of my big goals the entire time I will ever be your pastor is to get you to abandon this platform. To abandon this platform that says, hey, I can do things and if I do certain things, I can become righteous enough or I can become in relationship with God. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because all the way up that platform, it's just a false sense of righteousness. And the Bible clearly says that even our best of righteousness is like dirty, filthy rags to God. It's just not, we can't ever be that holy. And I would also tell you, listen, even if you're, you've given up and you've been hopeless that you would ever become righteous, here, listen, this is the good news of Christmas. You don't have to. You don't have to be hopeless anymore. You can just simply move to the other platform. And the other platform is simply this. You receive what he's done for you. It's not about what you'll ever do for him. It's about what he has done for you. And see, this this is Matthew's story. Do you get that? See, Matthew was of the the group that, see, he was a tax collector. I don't even know if you know this. Tax collectors couldn't go to temple. Tax collectors couldn't go to synagogue. They were completely disconnected. They were ostracized from any religious life. Matthew was a guy who wasn't ever around religious people. Everybody hated him, especially religious people. Matthew had given up. And Jesus comes to his table and he says, follow me. And that night, Matthew's sitting around with the best of friends he has in the world other tax collectors and sinners, right? Other people who are hopeless that they'll ever be righteous. They've given up ever trying to go up that platform. He's sitting around with them, and this, this rabbi stands up, and he says, listen, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sick. I, I didn't come for the healthy. I came though for those who are sinners and who need me. You know, can I confess to you? I'm human just like you are. And there's something deep inside of me that says, oh, that platform looks attractive. Maybe I can do certain things and God will be pleased with me. And here's the good news in Jesus Christ. If you will abandon that platform, then you'll understand what true grace is all about and you'll really get Christmas. Christmas is about God coming down to us, not us going to him. God coming down to us. And I'm so grateful because you know what? I needed a healer and I needed a friend and I needed a helper and I needed a miracle worker and I needed a guide. But more than any one of those things, you know what I needed? I needed a Savior. And the Savior was born not just for sinners, but from sinners. And he came to save us. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're standing right over here and you've understood this. And maybe you've already abandoned that platform. And maybe you've already understood that it's not about what you do. It's about what he did for you. And maybe you're living in that kind of grace every day, giving thanksgiving for what he's done for you and honoring that. Or maybe you're standing on this platform over here and you're thinking your righteousness is something that that will actually please God. Or maybe you've actually, like Matthew and his other tax collector buddies, Maybe you are hopeless that you'd ever be righteous. Listen, what better time than Christmas Eve tonight to just kind of abandon that steps 
abandon that platform and say, you know what? He's done it for me. It's not about what I do. All I have to do is receive what he's done for me. Guys, therein lies the heart of what that baby in a manger was all about. And my father-in-law, I love to quote him. He says, we don't worship just a baby in a manger. We worship a risen king. He left that manger. He went on to follow God's mission for him. He died on a cross. He was resurrected from a tomb. And he lives offering us hope every day, not on what we've done, but on what he did for us. I'm so thankful for that. Because in many ways, Matthew's story is my story. And it's your story. It's our story. Thanks be to God. In the next few minutes, as we have a chance to have Holy Communion here, which is always a very special time to close our worship service, um, I'm going to invite some folks in just a minute to come and receive communion. But before I do that, can I just remind you that we come and receive. It's not about what we do. We receive. That's the heart of the gospel, receiving Jesus unto yourself. Let me pray for you. Let me pray a prayer of hope or maybe a prayer of salvation if you never received Christ. What a wonderful time to abandon that platform and to receive him and what he's done for you. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for what you did for us, and I thank you that you are not only uh, the God who came for sinners, but you identify with sinners. You sat there and ate with them, and you loved on them, and you said you came for us. You came for us who are sinners. And Lord, forgive us for all those moments when we, when we kind of go back to that thing about what we do. We abandon that tonight in the name of Jesus. And we hear your words to the Pharisees sitting around the table at Matthew's house. That it is about us as sick people, sinners, that you came. You came to offer hope and life for us. And today, Lord, we receive that life into us. In the next few minutes, even as we receive uh, bread and juice, reminding us of the, of the cross of Jesus Christ, Lord, we receive tonight that gift of love and sacrifice that you gave through your Son. And Jesus, we just invite you, be born in our hearts in this evening. Help us to, to receive you fully and, and just come and wash away the sin, wash away all the stain, wash away all the baggage and all, all, the, all the bad stuff that we have, we've been a part of. And Lord, would you restore life into us tonight, the life that you planned since the foundation of the world. Be born in us tonight. We open our hearts. We invite you in. This is our prayer, Lord Jesus. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.